Chapter 10 The Inner Core Associates Khalid woke abruptly in his bed, grabbed his pistol from underneath his mattress, and aimed it at the furthest corner of his room. It was completely dark in his room, but he trusted his instincts. He continued to aim at the same area, even though he couldn't see anything or anyone there. How are you there? He said slowly. You're lucky I didn't shoot first. Now walk toward me slowly. The form of a man seemed to come out of nowhere, moving forward, and with his hands raised. Who are you and what are you doing in my place? The man smiled and lowered his hands. Do you know it took you nearly five minutes to realize I was here? I could easily killed you in your sleep. Pathetic. And they told me you were one of their best, said the man. Khalid aimed the gun at the man's head. You have five seconds to tell me who you are, and that I may let you live. The man smiled. Really? They also told me that you were expecting me today. You remember that the three who called themselves your superiors said to expect a visit from an associate from the inner core? As Khalid lowered his gun, someone behind him snatched it. He looked behind him to see a powerfully built man nearly two meters tall glowering over him. The man held his pistol in both hands and easily bent the barrel back 180 degrees. He then handed the gun back to Khalid and folded his arms across his chest. In disbelief, Khalid couldn't take his eyes off the giant of a man. There was no way he could have missed someone so massive behind him. It was if he'd appeared out of thin air. Oh, don't mind him, said the other man. He just likes to show off. Inner core or not, Khalid didn't like being cornered so easily. He flipped out of the bed, landing on both feet, and swiftly moved to a position that kept both men in front of him. He glanced at the clock, realizing it was a little after 3.30 in the morning. Um, I see that we should have used the front door, said the man, but we were trying to keep our rival as secretive as possible. They never said anything about two associates, said Khalid. Change of plans. Is that a problem? No problem, Khalid said, forcing himself into a more relaxed posture. Let me just turn the lights on, and the lights inexplicably came on. None of the men had made a move toward the light switch, nor was Khalid's lighting in his apartment set up to respond to any vocal or sound commands. Khalid scanned the room to make sure there weren't any other individuals he mysteriously hadn't accounted for. He was also amazed that both men wore black sunglasses and weren't hindered by the previously darkened room. The larger man walked over to the other man, whispered in his ear, and waited for a response. We are the Dark Assassins, sent by Reyes Fasa and Siriusis to interact with you and your new associate. You can call me Brown and this large fellow here, Ori. Where's your associate? She has her own place. I was expecting her to arrive around 8 in the morning. Have her here by 7 and make sure she brings enough clothing. Until we deploy, she stays here from now on, said Brown as he paused to further inspect Khalid, get dressed, and meet us in your living room. Both Brown and Ari left the bedroom, leaving Khalid standing in utter amazement. He had been told that associates from the inner core were enhanced in different ways than he was, but when Ari had bent the nozzle of his gun with inhuman strength, everything he thought he knew about Sheol had gone right out the window. He knew there were levels and projects in Sheol he wasn't allowed to know about, but he suddenly understood that he had barely scratched the surface of how powerful the organization truly was. He threw some clothes on and commanded himself to regain his demeanor. This was a rare opportunity many in his level of influence were allowed. Interaction with inner core associates. He had to take this time to learn as much as he could about the inner core and just maybe, one day, 
he would be allowed to join the ranks. Such power. He mumbled to himself as he made his way to the living room. Brown was sitting comfortably on one of his couches while Ori was standing stoically behind him. Khalid saw Brown as a normal man with hidden potential, while Ari oozed immense power and an attitude of disinterest. He seemed the perfect soldier, awaiting orders and ready to strike at a single command from his superior. Assuming that Brown was that superior, he focused his attention on the man sitting on his couch. Khalid deduced that Brown must truly be a powerful man to exhibit that kind of control over a physically superior individual such as Ari. When Khalid finally entered the living room, he sat on a chair facing the two and waited. Brown looked at the dark, she all official and smiled. You are indeed an intriguing man, you were well chosen. Am I right to assume the injection you took? When the Genovarian project was viable, still courses through your veins. Khalid nodded as he silently observed the two. Curiously, he noticed that Ari breathed only five times every minute and wondered if the giant was in some meditative state. How does it feel? asked Brown. I feel better than before. More attentive, stronger, and mentally more focused, he responded. Good. Brown paused. You know that you're the only one of your kind. The others previously given authority over different regions were terminated since they were no longer deemed necessary. How are that? And yet you remain. Don't you think a person of your abilities poses a liability since the Genovarian project is stalled? asked Brown. I consider it more a testament to my abilities to so be highly regarded," Khalid said with no hint of emotion. Brown smiled. You want to pit your abilities against my friend Ari here? No, we're from two totally different paths. He's of the inner core, while I'm not. Surely his abilities far exceed my own, or he wouldn't be of the inner core," Khalid responded without hesitation. Brown nodded. Well said. There are numerous levels within the inner core that you would fail to comprehend. Your interaction with us is truly a testament to how highly you are considered. I make no promises, but you have yet to max out your ascension in Sheol. Continue to be faithful in your service, and this may come to pass. Now, do you have any questions before I continue? My questions will be valid only after I've been fully briefed, said Khalid. Brown laughed. Of course, of course. I meant aren't you in the least curious about us? About either me or Ori? Khalid didn't want to seem as though there were too many questions his curiosity demanded to be answered. At first, he just figured that, if he remained patient, the answers would be revealed in time. However, since the opportunity became available, he decided to ask a couple of his minor questions. I have two questions, since you've asked, he responded. Brown indicated for him to continue. Why do you wear sunglasses? What? Are you serious? Asked Brown in disbelief. Out of all the things you've seen in these past few minutes, your first question is about our sunglasses. Fine. I wear sunglasses to prevent others from seeing my nature. Brown removed his sunglasses to reveal eyes that were completely black. Not just the irises or pupils, but the retina. Everything was completely black. At first, the dark she-all official thought the man was blind. But as he stared longer, he felt a depth that went far beyond understanding. There was definitely more to those eyes. He felt darkness, insidiousness, and an ageless intelligence that seemed to pull at his very existence. When he finally looked away, Brown put his sunglasses back on his face. Brown waved his hand. Ari? Ari turned his head toward Khalid. 
I wear my glasses to cover the existence of eyes that can sear the impurest of souls. I can see the sins of those before me and reflect it back to them, causing immeasurable pain. Nothing impure is hidden from me, for I am. That's enough? Brown snapped, taking a deep breath and shaking his head. His eyes are red while mine are black. It's an inner core thing. Your second question. Khaled hesitated. If a simple question yielded such a profound response, he wondered if he should ask the next. I, um, my second question is, where does Ari get his superior strength from? Ah, Ari's strength, said Brown. Well, let's just say there are many other projects within she all than the Genoverian one you're so familiar with. There are things we can do to make a human body far exceed its naturally weak genetic abilities. Ari here is an example of such, um, enhancement. Khaled knew that there was much more going on here than Brown would admit. Ari's statement and Brown's unnaturally black eyes made Khaled's own enhancement look like nothing. Standing, Khaled bowed to show respect. I'll call Bahija to inform her of the changes. After Khaled left, Brown turned to Ori. You don't have to be so damn open to him. He's had to earn the secrets of the inner core. Ari turned to his superior. Then, you answer the questions. I find these games detestable. Ari, Ari. Will you ever learn to be patient? Pravis entered the same realm in which he'd had the misfortune of being previously reprimanded by his superiors. While dragging a half-conscious Agent Martin's spirit, he oriented himself and moved quickly in the direction of Ray's Fasa and Siriasis. He streamed through the realm with great speed, causing several demons to dive out of his way. Those not quick enough were swatted aside without thought. As Pravis neared his destination, he slowed his approach and walked over to three demon guardians. They were standing before a massive, shimmering dark gray haze 10 meters in diameter. The haze slowly shifted its shape like globs of heated wax in a lava lamp, never once taking the same form. Slowly approaching the door to the three's personal realm, Pravis addressed the guardians. I am Pravis the Minor, chosen associate to the inner circle of six, and with authority from Rays, Siriasis, and Fasa, I seek entry into their realm. One of the guardians stared at Pravis for a long time before responding. Are they expecting you? I have news of an important matter they demanded me to investigate, Pravis responded. The guardian then looked at Agent Martin and snarled. What is that doing here with you? It does not belong here. This, Pravis pulled Martin's hair, bringing his face in full view of the guardians. This man has crucial information that must be given to my superiors. The other guardian stepped forward. It has no business in this place and will definitely not be allowed to pass. Pravis felt his angst rising. He had come too far to be deterred, and he wasn't going to be swayed so easily. Pravis was no match for three guardians, but he had to show them that he meant business. Who are you to decide? This is a sensitive matter that must be brought to their attention. I suggest one of you go in and get permission. Neither of the guardians budged, daring Pravis to make the next move, which he did. Pravis emitted an aura of disdain so powerful that it caused one of the guardians to flinch and take a step backwards. They are eagerly waiting for this information, and once they find out that you three detain me here, they won't be pleased," said Pravis slowly with great authority. The guardian that took a step backwards turned around and disappeared through the gateway. After a few seconds, he returned with several deep wounds on its face. Pravis the Miner, you may enter and take that with you," said the returning guardian 
pointing to Agent Martin. When all three guardians moved away from the gateway, Pravis, for the first time in his existence, proceeded through. On the other side, with Martin and Tao, Pravis saw nothing but complete darkness with a single faint light in the distance. Not all fallen angels were affected by the lack of light, but within this realm, Pravis' sight was hindered. It was a darkness that couldn't be penetrated. Glancing around, Pravis tried to look past the darkness to reveal any hidden secrets, but he quickly realized that the realm was probably in tune with only Rays, Siriasis, and Fasa. It was their personal domain, a sort of fortress of solitude. Pravis had no choice but to proceed toward the light. He came upon Rays, Siriasis, and Facet, seated comfortably on three large marble-like thrones facing each other with a small stone circular area, carefully placed in the center. There was a soft light that seemed to emanate from nowhere, residing only around the three. Upon the center stone were several indescribable symbols that Pravis didn't recognize. Fasa motioned for Pravis to enter the circle and for Martin to remain outside the thrones. When Pravis stepped on the circle, the symbols illuminated, highlighting his form with an eerie shadow. You have something to report? asked Siriusus. Pravis glanced at all three before responding. Yes, the man I brought is one of the primary reasons the Genoverian project failed. E. One of the primary reasons, said Reyes, rather too calm for Pravis to ignore. Where is the other primary reason, Pravis? I had access only to Agent Martin, he is. Who is this other person you didn't have access to? Rays again interrupted. Hold of his hands, Pravis pleaded. Please, if you just let me continue, I'll explain it all. Just answer the question, said Siriusus. Keiko Yumek O. Carter, said Pravis, realizing that the meeting wasn't going to go as smoothly as he hoped. And why wasn't she accessible to you? We know this agent, and she should pose no problem to you. Sifasa, joining in on what seemed more like an interrogation. Pravis took a deep breath. She was protected. The three remained quiet for a while before responding. Her strength is in embracing the physical aspects of life. When did she embrace Christianity? Asked Faza. She was protected through intercession. Intercession? Asked Siriusus, annoyed. Yes. Surely you could have handled any guardian angel, said Reyes, remaining uncommonly cool. It was Michael. I had no choice but to retreat, said Pravis, showing some irritation over how the meeting was progressing. The three remained quiet for a long time. Pravis studied his superiors, trying to gauge how they would respond. Only Reyes showed signs of anger by clenching his fists, trying to control himself. Fasa was the first to speak. I never thought the woman was that important to have Michael protect her through intercession. Fasa paused. Give us your report. We will not interrupt you again. Pravis relaxed since now he could finally give a full account of what had happened. However, before he started, he caught Ray's mumbling Michael's name. Ignoring Ray's, Pravis gave a full account of his investigation from the very start, including his visit in Hell and concluding with his interaction with Keiko. He even shared his personal feelings on how the demon that was associated with Prophet Barabbas was the first step in the eventual failure of the Genoverian project. If the demon had never revealed portions of what was to come to the Prophet, then the other events wouldn't have occurred. Pravis then looked at Agent Martin. This man was the final link. All of this would never happened if he had taken more aggressive and appropriate actions against Keiko Yumeko Carter. He failed to fully implement what you charged him to do, leading to the failure of the project. From your report, 
There seem to have been many failures that led to us pulling the project. Agent Martin wasn't really one of our best operatives, said Reyes. So, why is he here? Travis looked at Reyes, just in case you wanted to interrogate him. Is, is this a dream? Agent Martin finally managed to mumble after the shock of dying then being dragged from his body and through unimaginable places. He was coming out of his shock after hearing the conversation between Pravis and his superiors. Where am I? He asked. Pravis focused on the wretched, deluded man. Be quiet. What the hell is going on here? What is this place? The last thing I remember was being in my apartment and shut up, shouted Pravis, turning and glancing at each of his superiors. If you do not wish to interrogate him, I'll have him removed. Agent Martin managed to stand but stumbled as he was confused by why his body felt light and completely out of sorts. He heard the voices in the distance talking about him, but for some strange reason, couldn't focus on them. He could make out one tall person surrounded by three others, sitting on what looked like large chairs. I demand to know what's going on here. Let him speak, said Faza smiling. Reyes rolled his eyes. This was a waste of time, but he conceded, allowing Faza to have his fun. Pravis bowed, walked over to Martin, grabbed him by his arm, and tactically dragged him back to the circle. Speak if you dare. Mortal. His vision still clouded and totally disoriented. Martin began to plead with his captors, concluding that he had been somehow kidnapped. I don't know what group you're from, but you have the wrong guy. I don't know what you're talking about. All the events and people you mentioned, I have no knowledge of. You have the wrong guy, he lied. Pravis turned to Fasa. He's blinded. Do you think he would be acting in such a manner if he could see? Fasa smiled and then addressed Martin. Agent Martin from the Federal Bureau of Investigation of the United States of America. Do you not recognize my voice? I'm voice two of the three that acquired your services for a means to our end. Voice two, Martin mumbled. The others are here too, voices one and three. But it seems as though they aren't interested in talking to you, so I'll speak. You failed in the most minor of tasks in governing your people. Keiko Yumeko Carter indeed hindered one of our projects, something we told you to be on top of or face dire circumstances. Staring at the blurred vision of voice two, Martin said, I did everything you asked of me, but not well enough, Fassa countered. Please, just give me a second chance. Fassa burst out in uncontrollable laughter. That's all I wanted to hear. There are no second chances, mortal. You made your decision and have to spend the rest of eternity with it. Mortal? Martin mumbled. Fine, said Faso, waving his hand. Now fully gaze on those that you aligned yourself with. Martin's sight slowly returned, and what he saw horrified him. Voice 2 was an inhumanly large, darkened angel. As he glanced around, he saw they all resembled the same thing, but as he looked at Pravis, he saw something far more sinister, since Pravis retained his demonic form instead of his fallen angel state. Martin felt a rush of heat flow through his body. It dawned on him who he was standing in front of. Falling to his knees, he screamed. No, it can't be. It just can't be. God, it can't be. Immediately, he felt himself being grabbed by the neck and lifted close to the face of Pravis. Say that name one more time, and I'll feast on your tongue, making sure you'll never mention it again. Pravis turned to Fasa. Are you done with this? He asked, referring to Martin. Fasa nodded. I'm no longer amused. Give him his reward. Gladly, said Pravis as he grabbed Martin's head with his other hand and howled loud and long. His voice echoing throughout the realm brought one of the guardians within seconds. Remove this from our sight 
and send him to hell, Pravis told the Guardian. Without hesitation, the Guardian plunged his large claws into Martin's chest, hoisted him over his head, and left as quickly as he had come. Pravis looked back at Fossa, waiting to see how the meeting was going to proceed, when Ray started speaking. There are many more projects than the Genoverian one that we are interested in, but so far the unsuccessful implementation of this project weighs heavily upon us. It is our desire to make sure that all parties responsible for its failure be swiftly exterminated. However, the presence of Michael with this Keiko Yumeko Carter woman will have to rethink this approach. That Archangel's appearance just signifies how important she is to their plans. She must be carefully dealt with. I planted some pretty strong lies within her before I left. This may greatly confound her ability to see clearly and cloud her judgment," said Pravis. Hoping for that isn't what we want, said Reyes. We need her dead. Do you have a plan to deal with Michael? asked Pravis. No, we must consult Vetha's Nimba on that, said Reyes. There was silence for a while before Sirius's spoke up. You redeemed yourself by investigating this matter. Normally we would allow you to return to your previous assignment, but there are two others in the process of redeeming themselves we don't have much faith in. They are the ones that allowed Sean Duquesne and the journals to slip from our grasp. I know them. We need you to supervise them. They must not fail in their next mission. Losing that last battle did not sit well with us and unspoken others. We need a victory. And what is their current mission? Pravis asked. They are to mobilize against the Duquesnes and eliminate a person called Julie Targus. Without her, the Duquesnes are nothing and will be greatly hindered in their global campaign of spreading the words from the journal. Just how much supervision do they need? More than your normal supervision, we need you to be there guiding them, Ray's cut in. Pravis considered the fieldwork and felt it was beneath him. His job was to guide from afar, not to be on the front lines. His recent work of discovering how the Genoverian project had failed was just about all he could take, and now he was being asked to become even more involved. Surely there must be another better suited for fieldwork as a captain. My role has always been to. We know what your role was, shouted Reyes. It's what your role is now that matters. Pravis tried to calm himself. Am I then demoted? Of course not, said Siriasis. It's just that this mission is extremely important and can't fail. We need our best on it. Your best, said Pravis, losing his composure. If you are sending your best, then why send two who failed in the past on such a sensitive mission? The same reason we gave you a second chance, Pravis. It is our way. Any result in a mission of redemption, other than correcting your errors is a failure that leads to a serious demotion. Reyes jumped in again. Pravis clenched his fists. What was he to do since it was an order and not a suggestion? After a moment of silence with no response from Pravis, Siriusus continued by filling Pravis in on everything about Agent Brown Ari, the dark she-all official in Bohija. He explained what was expected from the group and what other resources would be at Pravis' disposal. Any questions? asked Siriusus. Yes, said Pravis, just one. When this is over and the mission is success, I will expect a promotion. Reese smiled. You are indeed bold. We'll see about that. Bahija wheeled her travel bag out of the private elevator and struggled to pull it toward the dark, she-all official's penthouse door. She knew she had overpacked, but when Khalid had told her that the associates had arrived and requested she stay with the group 
an untold number of nights. She's panicked and thrown as much as she could into the bag. She'd brought not only clothes but an abundance of toiletries as she's tried to account for any situation. Even so, she knew there was only so much she could pack. She was nervous and didn't know what to expect. Khalid hadn't yielded much information on the men she was about to meet. He'd simply told her everything would be discussed at her arrival. Her steps became slower, or so she thought. As she approached the door, everything seemed to slow down. Each step became a loud thud as both her heartbeat and breathing became loudly evident in her ears. The door that had been only several feet away now seemed distant and ever drawing nearer with each step. What was this feeling? She thought as she felt completely detached, yet hesitant to take the steps to the door. It was as if she were struggling with the thought of moving forward in the direction her life was taking. Bahaija stopped just a few steps from the door and looked back at the elevator. Then she checked her travel bag in several of the compartments, stalling. After what seemed like an eternity, she turned back to the door and nearly screamed as she came face to face with Khalid. You need help with that, he asked. Um, it has wheels, she answered, disgusted in her response since she couldn't disguise the nervousness in her voice. Khalid stared at her carefully, then smiled. Don't worry. Anything you need can be quickly gotten for you. Follow me. When he turned, Bahaja took a deep breath and followed him into the apartment. She trailed after him through a large vestibule and into the living room. There, she saw two darkly dressed men, both wearing sunglasses. One sat on a sofa looking in her direction, while the other stood facing the window overlooking the Arabian Gulf. Her eyes fixated on the man at the window, when she was taken aback by his enormous size. Feeling a hand on her shoulder, she turned to see Colin. I'll take your bag to your room. Make yourself comfortable, I had breakfast delivered. He said softly as he pointed to a nearby table. I'll be right back. Not knowing what to say, she just watched Khalid take her bag and disappear up the stairs. Turning back to the seated man, she lifted the hand to say hello. Hi, I'm Bahija, she said in English, since the man looked either British or American. Agent Brown lifted his hand and pointed to the food table. You must be hungry. Please grab a bite to eat. Bahija weakly smiled and nodded. Glancing at the man by the window, she made her way to the table and gathered some assorted cut fruits and a bowl with a cup of herbal tea. She walked back to one of the couches in the living room and placed her breakfast on the coffee table in front of her. Bahaija was inexplicably nervous and found it difficult to initiate a conversation with the man sitting close to her. She decided to eat breakfast. Maybe it would calm her nerves. After she had taken several bites of a candle of slice, Brown cleared his throat. My name is Brown and my associate over there by the window is Ari. It is our pleasure to meet you, Bahija. My apologies for requesting you to come here far earlier than you expected, but we must get rolling as soon as possible. Bahija nodded. I'm looking forward to working with such powerful men from the inner circle, she said, nearly cringing as the words left her lips. She wondered if she seemed too forward. Brown smiled. These past few days must have been eye-opening for you, learning that the world is not what it seems and now being part of a very important mission. It's a bit too much for anyone to handle in such a short time. Bahija took a sip of tea, trying to settle her nerves. She wondered why it was taking Khalid so long to come back. Looking at Brown, she said, Yes, it's a lot to account for in just a few days, I won't deny that. But better to deal with the truth and face it head on than to live in a lie. Hem, said Brown. The more time you spend with our organization, the more you'll realize that the truth has innumerable layers. 
You're all set, said Khalid, walking back down the stairs. Quickly assessing the situation, he realized Bahija was handling the other two guests the best she could but was out of her league. He returned just in time, for it seemed as though Brown was leading her toward an uncomfortable interaction. Khalid figured that it was Brown's way of determining what she was truly made of, but he was going to do his best to buffer that as much as he could. I see you two have introduced yourselves, my apologies for not doing so earlier, he continued, sitting on Bahija's couch but between her and Brown. Please help yourself to breakfast, he said to Brown. As I told you before, we are not hungry, said Brown, agitated. Indulge yourselves. When you're done, we can get started. Khalid sensed Bahija stiffen up, as if she wondered whether to continue eating. Let's just get started as Bahija finishes up. Brown stared at Khalid for several seconds before responding. Yes, of course. Where are my manners? I forget myself. I did suggest grabbing a bite to eat before getting started. Ari. The massive man slowly turned from the window, approached, and stopped directly behind Brown. He stood there motionless, waiting for Brown to tell him what to do next. Unknown to all, from behind his sunglasses he looked from Bahija to Khalid, longing for the time when their assistance was no longer needed. For now, he tolerated their presence and suppressed the contempt he felt within. Brown proceeded once he sensed Ori's quick resolution to his inner conflict. The ones responsible for the cyber attack against us have been located. They are currently residing in Grande Prairie of Alberta, Canada. The one with the talent for cyber terrorism is called Julie Targus, aka Robin Hood. Bahija paused briefly while taking a bite of fruit. Agent Brown looked at the associate. You know the name? Um, yes, she said, quickly finishing the fruit in her mouth. In college, we were aware of many such famous hackers. Robin Hood was known for her actions of helping those less fortunate and exposing organizations that were. Khalid remained quiet but inwardly wished that Bahaja would have thought out her response before opening her mouth, verbally trapping herself. Yes, asked Agent Brown, smiling. Uh, I, said Bahaja, afraid of what she'd almost said. Agent Brown's smile faded as he ordered, just say it. Organizations that were taking advantage of the powerless masses, but I, Agent Brown, held up his hand and looked at Khalid. Powerless masses, did she not pass your test? Yes, she did. What she has mentioned were most likely thoughts from several years ago. Her eyes have since been opened, said Khalid. Is that so? Asked Agent Brown as he looked at Bahija again. Yes, sir. She answered immediately. That was long ago. Thanks to Khalid, I now know the truth and embrace it. Agent Brown smirked as he realized the dark, she-all official had lied to his associate about his true name. The man fully understood the power of having someone know the true meaning of a name. Fine, Agent Brown continued. Anyway, Julie Targus has joined up with the Duquesnes and is currently living with a Canadian multi-billionaire called Matthew Bouchard. Bouchard has much influence with the Canadian government and can be considered untouchable by his fellow nationals since he has many black op projects crucial to the sovereignty of his country. He lives in a well-guarded complex that one may consider a small fortress. He's a known intellectual and prides himself as a modern-day seeker of the truth. Of course, this knowledge used to be limited, but with his association with Targus and the Duquesnes, he's now considered a liability. Khalid nodded. Targus and the Duquesnes are aware of our existence, he said to Bahija and they started a cyber campaign against us by giving facts and information to anyone stupid enough to listen. Brown continued, 
This leak has to be neutralized quickly and efficiently. What resources do we have at our disposal? asked Khalid. The full cooperation of the inner circle, answered Brown. Good. Do you have numbers? Khalid questioned. Numbers sufficient to remove the threat, Brown answered quickly. Not wanting to push the issue of numbers, Khalid tried a different approach. When will the inner circle give us our specifics in this cleansing? Ari breathed deeply as if yet again controlling himself. Brown ignored the act and answered the question. The specifics are being ratified at this very moment and will be released to us soon. As for now, the four of us are ordered to mobilize to Edmonton, Alberta starting tomorrow morning. This will be our staging ground. Bahija shivered as she considered visiting the cold country. She had always been in a temperate climate, and she wondered if she could handle the drastic change in temperature. The personal jet should be arriving in several hours already stocked with the appropriate clothing and gear for both you and Bahija. As for now, I suggest you mentally and physically prepare yourselves for the trip. You have nearly a day to prepare. Ari and I have some. Um. Immediate matters to attend to. Agent Brown stood up. We need to borrow one of your rooms and not be disturbed under any circumstances. Yes, of course, said Khalid standing. I have another bedroom not currently being used. Your communication room, said Ari, growing tired of all the dialogue. The computer room, it's just down we know where it is, Ari interrupted. Ari proceeded toward the computer room while Brown glanced from Khalid to Bahija. Under no circumstances must you enter. Understood? Yes, both Bahijan and Khalid said together. Good, uh, thank you so much for your hospitality. Khalid, said Brown as he turned and followed Ori. When the door to the computer closed behind Brown, Khalid sat down and shook his head. You must be more careful what you say around them. You may have passed the test to become my associate, but I feel as though they're judging you in their own way. You were right in being honest, but please phrase your responses better and don't give them an opening to doubt. Okay, Bahija said meekly. She felt drained and totally out of her element with those two. If she was to survive these next several days, she'd have to fully embrace Khalid's guidance. For now, finish your food. Afterward, I'll give you a crash course on what I know about inner circle members, he said, rubbing his forehead, for it was going to be a very long morning. In a closed conference room, Agents Jackson and Romero sat across a small table from Agent C. Cole Lee and Assistant Director Carter. Waiting for the two agents to process what they just read, Brooke and Keiko remained silent. The obvious questions would begin soon. However, the two male agents sat there with no inclination to begin the meeting. Keiko had the foresight to make sure they had a conference room to discuss the report in private before they finished reading it. She knew they would have many questions. However, since the minutes seemed to drag on, she made the first move. Feel free to ask any questions. You have full clearance on the subject, said Keiko. Jackson took a deep breath. So, this confidential document is the primary reason the department was created, he said, deciding to be blunt and not dance around the subject. Brooks smiled and glanced at Keiko, knowing she appreciated direct questions. Yes, said Keiko. We are putting together this group to identify and hopefully foresee any such events being put together before they take shape. We are to take action, requesting assistance if need be, to resolve any such unimaginable acts of possible terrorism or possible mass destruction. This Gino thingy, said Romero, joining in. 
is beyond our level of expertise. I don't know how to respond to this. My strength is cyberterrorism. But the feasibility of such a biological weapon's ability to exist is beyond me. It just seems so crazy. Now the ability of this so-called terrorist group to be active without a single hint of their existence being noticed by any global intelligence agency is remarkable. To me, that's more significant than the biological weapon. Why is that? Asked Brooke, curious. Well, Romero continued, if we were able to detect or even infiltrate this group some time ago, they wouldn't have had a chance to make this weapon. In my opinion, that's more significant. Jackson nodded, that's the scary thing. We think this is the same group with the biological weapon that generated this cyber attack against Bouchard. The chances of more than one group possessing their advanced skills is highly unlikely. And ma'am, we can't trace them or even begin to decipher where they're from. The only thing we can determine so far is their interest. Bouchard, why are they interested in him? What information were they looking for? Bouchard is our only link. Okay, said Brooke. I can see how you figured this may be the same group. But tell me, why is that so scary? Jackson looked at Romero and answered the question. The scary thing is that they're so far off the radar that they're untraceable. What other things are they planning? From what I can see from that report and with Bouchard, we got lucky twice. No, not lucky. We've never even had a clue about them until recently, and something this secretive doesn't just come into existence all of a sudden. They must have been around for a while, Romero added. And to become noticed twice in so short a time frame tells us that they got sloppy and must be worried about something. Jackson concluded. Wait, Keiko said, wanting to be sure of what she was hearing. Are you saying this group is basically invisible to us and inadvertently became visible because something has them worried? Something that Bouchard knows. And somehow this may be connected to the Genoverian? Yes, the two male agents said in unison. Damn, said Brooke, that is scary. Keiko looked at each agent at the table. We need to get to Bouchard before they do. Every second we waste talking here puts them one step closer to Bouchard. Brooke, get online with our Canadian contacts and request immediate access to Bouchard without his being aware of our request. I will not take no for an answer. Romero and Jackson, I don't care how invisible this group is. If they're getting sloppy, I want you two at the station to catch their mistakes. I'm going to see the director and update him on everything. Hopefully, he'll give us the assets we need to figure out what's going on here. Keiko stood up quickly. One way or another, we're going to get this group in our sights. Now move. 